Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. All right, so we're going to continue in this teaching series. How many of you have been blessed by this teaching series so far? It's so interesting that the last month of the year is where we're having one of the most riveting, one of the most ground-shaking teaching series yet. And I'm saying this because I personally have been affected by these teachings. I would encourage you, if you've missed any teaching, please go back. We have our podcast is up to date. In fact, it's it's one of the most up-to-date podcasts that I know in the world. And I'm not saying that because I'm biased. It's always up-to-date. So I wanted to go check the replays. We've done Priority Check. That was the first installment of this teaching series that we started two weeks ago. Talking about what is priority to you. What means the most in your life. And, and how that is a reflection of of. of you know, your priority of what matters and, and how important God is in your life and the things of God. And then last week we talked about motive check. Oh my goodness. I still am getting lots of responses about how this one was really impactful because it questions you as to why are you doing what you're doing? We mentioned that when it comes to, to everything that you do at the end of the day, what's more important is not what you did but why you did what you did. The motivation, the motive behind it, that's far more important. And this week, oh, we're doing something very important that everyone needs to be reminded of, right? This is something that I I, I trust God to use to bless everyone, all right? And today's teaching is called Purity Check. Purity Check. All right. And I want you to just pay attention and get ready. Are you ready for the word of God? Are you ready for it to do something powerful in your life? If yes, then let's get right to it. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. I want everyone to go there, so I'll give you some time. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. This is what it says. Pay attention. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Praise the name of Jesus. This is a very powerful passage. It says that all scripture is actually inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. It's given by the inspiration of God. And it is profitable for what? For doctrine. The word doctrine means a system of teaching. It's profitable to teach you, to educate you, to help you grow. It is also profitable for what? For reproof. The word reproof reproof means to give convincing evidence. 
So maybe you were confused about something. You are not sure what this meant or what that is or how you should go about this in your life. The scripture wants to overwhelm you with convincing evidence that when you see it, you say, ah, okay, this is what it should be. It's for reproof. It's for correction. The word of God aims to correct you. And this is one a lot of people like to run away from because, of course, if you're being corrected by someone, you're not going to be like, oh, thank you for correcting me, bro. Yo, I love you, man. It's not going to be like that. It's like, man, wow. Am I really that bad? Yeah, I mess up. Oh, oh God. You know, that's the reaction. It's a sober process. Many times, a lot of us get defensive. You know, when you have those conversations with your friends and your friends tell you, you messed up there, you did bad there, you should do better. And you're like, man, I beg, leave this thing, I beg. You know, you get defensive sometimes. But you see, the word of God wants you to be humble. God gives grace to the humble. When you humble yourself before the word of God, you are better for it. It corrects you. It exposes the things that are presently happening in your life that are not in alignment with God's will. And that's what this whole teaching series is about, is to bring all things back to obedience to God, to bring all things in your life back to alignment to God, to recalibrate your life. And it's for instruction in righteousness. And, you know, I love how verse 17 goes. Verse 17 then says, that the scripture is doing all this. It's giving you doctrine. It's teaching you doctrine. It's giving you conviction and evidence. It's reproving you. It's correcting you and also instructing you for the purpose that you what? Verse 17. So that you will be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is the end result. When the word of God is taught, when the word of God is read, it's to make you a whole and complete person. So that when someone looks at your life, and even if that person is you, when you stand before a mirror, you're like, ah, ah, I said, man, ah, you know, not just you look good physically, but you look good on a spiritual standpoint. You're wholesome. All the excesses have been cut off. All the parts that are deficient have been added in abundance. That's what God wants for you. And now that we're talking on this subject called purity, it's important that you're willing to receive correction. It's important that you're, re- you're willing to be educated by the word of God. But let, let me just give you an idea of what purity is. I know that when we think of purity, the first thing that comes to your mind is sexual purity. And while honestly, a lot of the times is used in scriptures, uh, a plethora of times, it's It's actually talking about sexual purity or sexual immorality or sexual morality. But it's more than that. Purity is, it simply means it is separation from contamination. Purity means that a certain thing is not contaminated, right? Any deviation from the truth of God's word for our lives is it's regarded as an impurity. All right. And that's what God tried to do from the very beginning in his plan of salvation. He saved us and redeemed us to be a holy nation, a peculiar people. You know, as you see in, in first Peter, 
you know, people that are set apart. That word set apart, that word holy indicates purity from all things that are impure, all things that are ungodly. So it's not just in your sex life or your sexuality. It covers every single aspect of your life. Every aspect. And as a believer, you're not just a, a sexual being or as a human being, I beg your pardon. You're not just a sexual being. You're not just a social being. You're a spiritual being. And so it encompasses all the spheres of your life, every aspect. Your, your spiritual life, your social life, and your sexual life, it, it transcends all these places. All right, and so we're going to take this into, I'm going to break purity into three sections so that you, you have a bigger picture of what this is. And I want you to take note, right? There's so much to cover and we have so little time, but I'll do my best. I hope you're still paying attention. Fantastic. So there are three categories I'm going to put purity in. And the first is doctrinal purity. Can you say that with me? Doctrinal purity. And under this, I'm going to highlight three things that, that I, I believe would help you grow in doctrinal purity. Three tips. All right. But the, let, let's check out 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is so good. From verse 4 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know the scripture. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So he's saying the weapon of our the weapons of our warfare, what we used to fight, they're not physical weapons. That's what the word carnal means. They're not physical, they're not clubs, it's not guns, it's not cutlasses, it's not axes, it's not arrows. They're not carnal, but you know, they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And he, he goes to, to make a case for what these weapons are. He says, This is how we do it, this is how we pull down strongholds. And well, you know, of course, when you use the word strongholds, things come to mind, demonic strongholds and all of that. But this is talking about something different. Verse 5, casting down arguments. Right? It says casting down arguments. I know that the, the King James Version will say uh, pulling down imaginations. And, you know, all the, those are the words you see. I'm reading from the NKJV. Right? So, you know, it says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Um, it's saying that what you are fighting against is not just demons or, or that woman, that old lady in your village that is fighting, you know, to, to bring it down. It's talking about casting down arguments and every high thing that, that brings itself against the knowledge of God. So this is a thing of knowledge. It's ideologies, it's philosophies, it's teachings, it's doctrines. Anything that wants to exalt itself. Listen, there are many things in your life and the things you're exposed to that are trying to rise above the, the place of the scriptures in your life. If you've ever found yourself believing something you saw just on social media and later on you found out, ah, wait, though, the Bible actually doesn't, the Bible frowns against this thing. The Bible talks directly against this thing. It means that there is some knowledge that is that, that is trying to exalt itself above the place of the word of God in your life. 
And it says, bring in every thought. So you see, it's a, it's a mind thing. Bring in every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's verse 6. So he just tells you, look, there's, a, there's, there's war. There is warfare. And this warfare is not a physical um, violent battle. It's one that happens, you know, to ideologies, to philosophies that want to rise against the, the, the things of God in your life. I want to read Ephesians chapter 4. Can we just go there quickly? I'm trying to set a very good foundation for this. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. This is good. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 13. We're going to read till verse 15, right? And I want to just say this. I think before we read this, let me just establish something, right? Before we read, just put your your finger in Ephesians chapter 4, right? We're going to come back there. But this is what I want to say, right? When it comes to these things, and, and many of you might not realize how serious it is, but when it comes to your doctrinal stance, what you believe about God, about his Christ, about the, the church, all these things have, actually matter and they, they result in the person you are going to be. They result in the actions you are going to take and the deci- decisions you are going to make. And if anything that has to do with doctrine is very sensitive and super important. But you see, there are three tips that I will give you to, to help grow your purity in doctrine. That's the doctrine you have. That means what you believe about Christianity, what you, you believe about the world, what you believe about God is free from contamination. Number one is you need to be discerning. Be discerning. Be discerning. One of the greatest tools that would help you is your ability to be able to distinguish between falsehood and truth. To be able to tell, ah, no, that doesn't sound right. Mm-mm, 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 stop, oh God, stop. That is, that is very wrong. The, the, the ability to say, no, that's correct. No, 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 he's correct. That's wrong. That ability will save you a lot. It will save you a lot. And, and this includes both falsehood and lies. And, and, you know, you might ask, what is the difference between the two? What is the difference between falsehood and lies? Right. Let me not get too much into the semantics, but falsehood is wrong information. That's what falsehood is. Anything that is not true. And that's untrue information, wrong information, whether it is intentional or not. So if someone who doesn't have a wristwatch um, and is not sure of the time and you say, what's the time? And the person from the top of their head just says it's 6.30 p.m. And actual fact is 7 o'clock. Did they say the truth? No. But you see, they didn't intend to deceive you, right? They said what they thought was true. And, and it's important I'm saying this because there, there are a lot of things that people actually believe is true. They're not saying it to deceive anybody. They, they actually think and believe from the depth of their heart that it's actually true. But it's wrong. But it's false. These are the things you need to be wary of. You need to be able to discern those ones as well. Lies, on the other hand, are the things that are said with the intention to deceive. So whether they are half-truths or mixed truths, as long as the person is saying this to deceive you intentionally, it's a lie. These two things are 
are the things fighting against the purity of doctrine in your life. All right. And God wants you to be discerning. God, you know, the, the, this thing called discernment, you know, if you read first Corinthians 12, you see it amongst the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see the gift of discernment of spirits, right? But you see, um, as much as this is a precious gift, and I tell you, it's, it's literally an internal lie detector God has given you. It's an internal lie detector. You can tell falsehoods by the Holy Spirit. You just know. If you read the, 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 the story, the narrative in Acts chapter 16, Paul you know, who who was with Silas at the time, there was a lady with the spirit of divination who was saying all sorts of things about Paul and Silas and saying these things by a spirit of divination. And he could tell, he could detect, he knew, he could discern. So it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's there. You, If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you believe in Jesus Christ, you have this. But like other gifts of the Spirit, it's, it's heavily influenced by right knowledge. You need to have the right knowledge. That's why we're doing what we're doing today. When you study the scriptures, you you enhance these gifts. You make it more effective. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. The, the next tip, I'm still gonna we're still gonna read Ephesians 4. But the next tip is number two. After being discerning, the next thing to do is speak against falsehood. Speak against falsehood. It's one thing for you to shake your head and say, ah ah. Oh, pastor, you missed it. Ah, you know, a lot of people are so quick to, to, to just call out pastors. Uh-uh, pastor, how can you say this? How can you, how can you say that tithe is the only way to make heaven? Uh-uh, how can you say Eba is the way to eternal life? Uh-uh, pastor, you're wrong. You know, it's one thing to just shake your head and just frown at it and just leave the church and go away. But you need to speak against them. If you don't speak against falsehood, if you're not vocal about it, you'll be held accountable because many people can be deceived and are being deceived by falsehood. And we have a responsibility to talk against falsehood. If you look at Paul in Athens, um, in Acts chapter 17, Paul spoke against the falsehood. He spoke against how uh, superstitious these people were. You know, he, he talked about how they had erected different gods. He went systematically. He started to talk about how God does not need to, to live in temples made by human hands. He doesn't need hands to serve him, to give him food. He's not that kind of God. You know, he, he's not a, a God that looks like stone or metal. You know, if we are his, his offspring, it means he's animate. He moves, he thinks, he breathes, he knows, he loves, he, he feels. You know, so Paul spoke against falsehood clearly. Another person, I'm telling you, our Lord Jesus himself spoke against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Every time you say, woe unto you, he'll call them vipers. He'll, he'll, he'll address the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to their face. He spoke against falsehood. In a time when they brought the adulterous woman before him, he knew... You know, the law says stone such a woman to death, but there's a place of mercy. And he looks to them and he tells them, if you have not sinned in your life, cast the first stone. He spoke against falsehood. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. We we have this, this responsibility to say, like Jesus did, that every tree that my, my heavenly father has not planted must be rooted out. 
it must be removed. Everything that has not been planted in, in, in you know, by, by God himself, I will root it out. I will take out the weeds. I will take them out. I will remove them. That's the responsibility to have. Speak up against it. And let me make it more practical. Perhaps, I'm not saying this to cause trouble. You need wisdom to do this. But let me give you an example. Imagine you're, in, you're having a family devotion, your morning devotions. And, you know, you people are talking and one of your family members, it could be your parent or your sibling, says something that is wrong. You know, and they say something as, as simple as, you know, for you to make heaven, you need to, you need to, you know, go to church. You need to pay your offering. You need to be a good boy, be a good girl. It sounds innocent. But for those of you who have followed this ministry, we know better that that's not how to please God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you want to to get God's favor in salvation. It's through faith. It's through faith. Whosoever believes in him, whosoever has faith in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. So at the end of the day, you have a responsibility to address it. Don't leave it. Have zero tolerance for falsehood. It's... It, the truth is falsehood can masquerade it can be disguised and it might just look like oh it's, it's just harmless but if you don't take it as seriously no one else will take it seriously so in a situation like that it comes up in your morning devotion you address it i no, i understand what you're saying that you know good works count but not to earn god's favor for we are saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves it's a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 8 to 9. That's how we attack falsehood. We pull out. This is how you pull down strongholds. This is how you cast down imaginations. You speak out against them. But, and this leads me to the next point. It's not just enough to pull down strongholds. It's not just enough to tear down structures. You must build. It's not just enough to uproot. You must plant. In fact, I dare say that the most effective means of eradicating falsehood is by establishing truth. And that brings me to my next point. Establish convictions of truth, of the truth. Establish convictions of the truth. So not only should you speak out against falsehood and say, this is wrong, this is wrong. Establish the truth. Establish the truth. And one very powerful way to build conviction is through effective and targeted repetitions. And I'm not trying to use all these big you know, words. I, I mean, if you want to build conviction, you need to repeat it often. You need to keep saying it without compromise. You need to know how to, go, how to say it, how best to repeat it. Do you understand? But that's the way you build conviction. I want, I want us now to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go that very quickly. Verse 13. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 13. I'll read till verse 15. And then this is Paul talking to the Ephesians. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is his, he wants that. This is why the ministry gifts, if you read the context, ministry gifts are given to the church. We're talking pastors, apostles, evangelists, teachers, right? They're given to the body of Christ for this purpose. They are given so that we all come to the unity of the faith. We come to similar, similar knowledge in the son of God, you know, unto a perfect man, you know, he wants unity of the faith, unity in knowledge, unity in belief, oneness of belief. 
verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby the lying way to deceive. You know, one thing that marks a child is someone who is carried by every wind of doctrine. One day you believe this, next day, ah, this pastor said this, I believe it. Ah, one day a new pastor, you're just going for what is trending. That's, that's, that's a sign of immaturity. Verse 15, this is where it is. It says, but speaking the truth in love. This is how you make it possible. This is how you uphold doctrinal purity. You speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. There's growth when you speak the truth in love. You grow up in him, which is the head, even Christ. Praise the name of Jesus. So that's the idea. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 15 says, But as for you, continue in the things you have learned and firmly believed. So Paul is speaking to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 3, 14. He says, as for you, continue in the things you have learned and firmly believed. You must continue in the things you have learned and you've believed since you know from whom you have learned them. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, see, uh, don't let what is popular, what is popping be what influences you. Let it not sway you. Hold fast. Continue in the things that you've learned and you firmly believe. That's how we win. That's how we win against falsehood. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. And, and, and what are some of these things to be wary of? What are some of these contemporary popular doctrines that we need to be careful about? Right. The first one that comes to mind is, is doctrines that surround money. Doctrines about money right doctrines about money whether it's on tithing on the prosperity gospel for those of you who don't know what the prosperity gospel is it's in summary it's simply you know coming to god believing in god so that you can get something from him which is financial prosperity you believe in god so that he can make you rich so that he can establish you you know that's why so you are coming to to him to get bread, not realizing that he is the bread. He is the source. He is the end goal, you know, and many people use God as a means to an end. That's what the prosperity gospel is. Some people have said about tithing that if you don't tithe, you know, you're under a curse. If you don't tithe, God is angry with you. You won't make heaven. Be careful about such doctrines, doctrines that make you thirst after more money, that make you more greedy. If you listen to a teaching and it leaves you coveting money, coveting someone else's um, wealth and prosperity and success, those are doctrines to be wary of. Number two is doctrines about salvation. And this, in fact, should be the first one, right? Anything that, because it involves eternal, eternal life, eternity. It involves the lives and the eternal destinies of humans, of people. So, you know, anything that has to do with the doctrine of salvation, whether there are extremes, whether the person says there's no, it's not about grace, it's all about your hard work, how much good you can do. Or maybe it's on the other side where the grace is just so abundant and you can live carelessly, licentious grace. Whatever it is, these are things to be wary of, to talk about, to bring down these falsehoods and establish the truth, right? The third one is doctrines about sex and sexuality. You know, people have started to say, and these are things you see on social media. A lot of people have 
have made themselves self-made pastors and preachers just because they have a social media platform and they have a large following they can say things like you know you can have sex even if you're just engaged you know you're married but you can still have sex you're fine you know or if you really really love each other and you're sure you're not going to leave each other you're not married but you know you can do whatever you want you can i mean there's no one stopping you you know teachings that say you know we don't choose who we love we are who we are so if you're attracted to the same sex if you're attracted to animals yeah i'm just giving you examples right these are doctrines that we need to be careful about right see this teaching today I'm going to say a lot of things and you have to permit me. You know me, I'm not one to hide my mouth. I'm going to talk. I'm going to come into your kitchen and cook you some nice dinner, you know, hot dinner. I'm going to be snatching wigs as well. So just get ready. The first thing, the fourth thing to, to that comes to mind is, you know, doctrines about gray areas, right? When you have doctrines about gray areas, gray areas are the things that um, the, the scriptures might not speak abundantly on or at all. Maybe because back then the technology didn't exist or the word didn't even exist, things like that. You know, be wary of them. Um, be careful before you, be careful to have the right conviction based on God's word, right? Gray areas include things like abortion, um, artificial insemination, plastic surgery, body adornments like tattoos, piercings, all these things. You know, you need to, you need to be, you need to, first of all, know the truth, right? When you know the truth about these things, that's the only way you can discern, right? And and the truth on this, the truth is that the Bible speaks on issues like this. When you talk about abortion, for example, you won't see thou shalt not commit abortion, for example, but you see thou shalt not commit murder. And this is a de debate that is still ongoing, pro-life, pro-choice. But at the end of the day, there, there, there are helpful ways to see God's will. There are easy ways to see God's will. In these situations in these things right many times it's all about the motive if you're doing artificial insemination many times it's about the motive if you're doing plastic surgery it's the motive there's plastic surgery that helps to save lives there's plastic surgery that is just for aesthetics so it's a lot of times it's really about your motivation so these are things to just be careful of right and be wary of so let's move on to the next one I hope this is clear so far so we've talked about doctrinal purity having oneness of it's, you know, you know, an uncontaminated doctrinal belief system in your life, right? One that is not contaminated by what the world says or what influencers say, but strictly what the word of God says, right? And we are a people that honor the word of God above all else, aren't we? We are, aren't we? We are those people that honor the word of God above all else in the name of Jesus. Amen. The second category of purity, and this is where you need to sit up. If you've been lying down, sit up for this one. You need it. It's purity in conduct. Purity in conduct. Purity in conduct. And when you talk about conduct, this has to do with how you relate to people, right? This is how you relate to people. And um, let me show you a scripture, right? Titus chapter 3 from verse 3 to, to 5. I'll read it very quickly because of time. Titus chapter 3 from verse 3 to 5. It says, For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. Verse 4, But after that the kindness of the Lord, uh, after that the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, 
But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see that salvation did not come by the works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. And many people are quick to say, now that we are saved, even Ephesians 2 says you are saved by grace, not by your works. Grace, not of works. Not by your good works. Not by you trying to play the moral part. Just by the mercies of God, you are saved and your faith in him. Many people have started to assume that since we are not saved by our works, things that we do don't really matter anymore to God and to his people. It, it doesn't really matter. But saved, right? Maybe it's not about what we did. Eh, that means I can do this. I can do that. But you need to realize that these things are important to God. Ah, it's important to God that you are pure in your conduct, in your conversations, it matters to God, and I'll prove it to you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 19. We're going to read a lot of scriptures, but I want you to be ready, okay? Uh, glory to God. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity he's saying this is a solid foundation the foundation of god this is where it stands on this seal let everyone who names the name of christ depart from iniquity so this tells you that a true sign of salvation a sign of true salvation is a departure from iniquity that's what it's saying. If you are truly saved, if you've truly been transformed, if the old man has been taken care of and all things have become new, it must show. You must depart from what God himself came to, to, to save you from. How can you be saved from sin only to live in sin? No. God saved you from sin, set you apart so that you depart from iniquity. So it matters to God. It matters now I'm going to read something that it's it's a very hard scripture to swallow, and I want you to sit up, give yourself space, <laughs> because this one it, it's it's what you it's what I call a hard to swallow scripture. It's hard to just to douse it down, but but by the grace of God, I'm sure you'll see why it's here. It's in First John chapter three from verse four to nine. Can you just open your Bibles very quickly? First John three from verse four to nine it's a it's a bit of a long read but we'll, we'll see it all right i'm trying to establish the fact that your conduct matters to god the way you live your life it matters to god verse four whoever commits sin oh my goodness whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness right that means breaking a law verse five and you know that he talk, talking about jesus was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin verse 6 whoever abides in him does not sin wow whoever sins has neither seen him or known him that's huge verse 7 little children let no one deceive you he who practices righteousness. And, and, and when, whenever you see this phrase in the Bible, you need to, this, these are places you need to pay attention to. It says, don't let anyone deceive you. 
because there's a tendency for people to lie about this particular this particular thing says let no one deceive you he who practices righteousness so this is not just a positional righteousness oh you believed in jesus now you are the righteousness of god in christ jesus no this is he who practices who lives out righteousness who does righteous deeds is righteous just as he is righteous says let no one deceive you or tell you otherwise that righteousness doesn't matter the living in righteousness doesn't matter. Don't let anyone deceive you. Verse 8. He who sins. Ah, this is huge. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. There are expectations, people of God. It is expected that if the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, it must show in your life. It must be evident. I must be able to see you and say something has happened. I'm seeing consistency in righteousness. And, and the truth is, for many people who get saved initially, it's not a, it's not a walk in the park. It, it sometimes takes a lot from you to live righteously. Sometimes there are, there, there are places where you stumble. There are places where you fall. But God is that patient. He's so patient. The Bible says in Psalm 23, He leads you on the path of righteousness. For His name's sake, He leads it's an active, proactive thing that he does. But the expectation is that if you're born of God, you must, have de you must depart from sin. You can't live a double standard life. You can't live a double life. Praise the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Right? So this is this is New Testament, by the way. This some people might write it up and say, Oh, it's just Old Testament semantics. But it's New Testament. It's written, Be holy, for I am holy. It says, Be holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation actually means conduct, not just your words, but in the way you interact with people. Be holy. Let it be evident that you are different. Alright, and so that said, I'm going to give you three tips on how to effectively be pure in your conduct, how to be holy in your conversation. Number one, be mindful of your words. Be mindful of your words. Ephesians 4.29, I promised you a lot of scriptures and that's what I'm dishing out right now. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 29. Oh, glory to God. And wherever you see a place to be corrected, please take the correction. Oh, thank you, Jesus Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I'll say that again. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's huge. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And, and, and I wrestle with this scripture sometimes because I'm one who cracks a lot of jokes. If you know me, you know, I like to tell jokes, whether dry or wet jokes. <laughs> I always like to tell jokes. But there is there is a call here that let every communication that leaves your mouth 
edify. Let it be good. Let it not be corrupt. So you need to ensure that even your jokes are not extreme. Some of you, you are joking with your friend or ordinary small play. You have already called the person idiot, stupid, mumu, or dare. Because you are joking. Uh-uh. He says, let the things that come out of your mouth edify. Let it minister grace to the person that hears it. So you need to screen your words before you say them because your words are like toothpaste. We should frame that quote. <laughs> your words are like toothpaste. By the time you squeeze it out from the tube, you can't take it back. You can't bring it back inside. So it's important that you screen your words. Be careful. You need to ask the question, does it edify? What I'm about to say, does it edify? Will it encourage? Would it, would it slander someone? Would it be considered gossip? Would it destroy someone? Will it enrage this person? Or would it comfort? Would it bless? Would it, would it build this person? So be mindful of your words. Words mean a lot to God. And they mean a lot to people. So be careful. Don't say things that are raw. Some of you tell crude jokes. Some of you say crude comments. You say nasty things. Be careful. Be careful. The Bible says you give an account for every idle word that you utter. Every single word you utter, you will give an account for it. So it's serious. It's serious, guys. It's serious. And and I know some of you are like, man, these things Pastor Ken is saying today, they're so harsh, they're so strict. Let me tell you, that's that's the apostolic tone of conversation. When when Apostle Paul or or John is talking, you see that sense of seriousness. Yes, there is grace in Christ. Yes, there is freedom. There's liberty by the Holy Spirit. But guess what? There are things that need to be done. There is there are expectations of you now that you've been saved. And that's why we're talking this way. The second tip I can give you after being mindful of your words is be love motivated. That means in everything you do, you know, try to put others before yourself, right? Try to put others before yourself. Try to to not just think about you alone. And I'll give you um, an example. Let's just read the scripture. First Corinthians 10. This is a long read, but let's quickly do it. First Corinthians 10 from verse 23 to verse 31. I want you to pay attention here, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Okay. So, verse 23. You say I am allowed to do anything. And many of you know this from the KJV. You know, not all things are expedient. Not all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. You know, you know that scripture. But let me read it in the NLT version so it's easy for you to understand. It says, You say I am allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Do not be concerned only for your own good, but for the good of others. Verse 25. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? Verse 27. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, someone who is an unbeliever should ask you to eat dinner. Accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you, maybe someone who is a believer and is sensitive to things like this, 
tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. Verse 29, it might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating? So whatever you eat, sorry, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Verse 32, don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. Verse 33, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And it sounds like a strange thing to say, to hear Paul say that I try to please everyone. Uh-uh, Paul, are you a people pleaser? The, the context of pleasing people here is he's considerate of other people. He's not just going... So many of you, I, I'll give you an example. Imagine that you're in a place, eh? and, and this is a, a, a very important thing to consider. Imagine you had a friend who is a recovering alcoholic, right? He's sober and, you know, he had a past life. He's been, he used to drink a lot. He was addicted to it. But you, you like red wine. You're not, a, you don't drink a lot, but you drink. You like alcohol. You like how it tastes. And you go for a dinner party, you know, and there's seven drinks. There are soft drinks, non-alcoholic, but you, you now say, Ah, this wine, I've not taken this Cabernet Sauvignon in a long time. Can you give me one? One caps off, please? And they serve it to you. You're pouring the drink. The guy is looking at you as you're pouring his drip, drip, drip. He's looking at you. You're looking at him. Uh Uh-uh. That's wickedness. Because you're not being considerate. There are certain privileges. You know, we know better that, you know, even if something offered to idols, it doesn't affect us because that scripture said the, the, the earth is the Lord and its fullness thereof. There's no other God than the God that we serve. So it means nothing. But if there's someone whose conscience is pricked by that, that ah, I, I can't, I can't see myself eating this food. Though. I know the source. I know this. He's saying that, see, for that person's sake, be willing to forego that privilege. For that person's sake, willing to take a coca-cola and maybe the person is someone who is a recovering addict to coca-cola and soft drinks then take water do you understand the whole point is do things considering other people every action you do let it be done to the glory of god and how is it done for the glory of god it's when you consider other people this is a very good way to walk in purity in your conduct with people right so be love motivated in everything you do. Let your motivation for taking any action be love. Your love for other people, all right? Praise the name of Jesus. See, yeah, the good thing in all of these things is that you have God's spirit helping you, right? So it's easy. There, there's true freedom in Christ. The true freedom is slavery to the Lord. You'd rather be a slave to God, a slave to righteousness, than being a slave to sin. There's true freedom in doing this. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. There's only boldness in life when you you adhere to the things of God, the commands of God. All right? Praise the name of Jesus. You're not saved to live a life without restrictions, without commands. You are saved and brought to the, within the confines of righteousness. And God expects us to live accordingly. The third thing I'll say quickly is walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Because of time, I'm not, I'm not spend time on this. 
But if you want to be pure in conduct, walk in the fruit of the Spirit. That's as easy as it gets. So it means you'll be loving because the fruit of the Spirit is love. You'll be joyful. You'll be at peace with everyone. You would be good and kind to people. A lot of people have lost that word in their dictionary. Kindness, goodness. Can you be kind to people? Can they? Can they? Can someone tell you? Has anyone ever come to meet you and said, "You're very kind," and not just because you're trying to impress them, not just because you've seen them for the first time, but I'm talking about someone you've known for years, a friend that they'll come to meet you and say, "Why are you so kind to me?" After all these years, you've not lost touch on kindness, and you've been good to me. These are these are things that matter to God. You think to God is all about speaking in tongues and kabashing and and casting out devils. These are. I dare say even more significant to God that your love walk is on point, that you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit every day, anywhere. Right? So that's a way to walk purely in your conduct. So I said be mindful of your words. That's the first one. Number two, be love motivated. That means consider other people um, before yourself. And the third thing is walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Now on sexual purity. And I want you to just give me some more minutes of your time this is where we're concluding the third category is sexual purity and you know in the new testament many times the word purity um usually refers refers to sexual purity um the word for um sexual immorality is actually porneia right it's a greek word called porneia and it's usually translated to mean whoredom or fornication or idolatry but but it's it's where we get the English word pornography from, right? But sexual immorality basically covers the whole spectrum. Anything that does not align, you know, every sexual expression that is outside the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage relationship, that's sexual immorality. The only confines that God has has approved for sexual gratification to be experienced is within marriage. That's it, and it's not going to change. A lot of people think that the Bible is is can be updated just like your operating system on your phone or iOS three point. No, it's the same Bible. It's not changing. It's not going to change. That's God's order, and and marriage is such a deep concept. I wish I I wish I had time to talk about it. It's a representation. It's a reflection about Christ and the church, the love, the oneness of Christ and His church, according to Ephesians chapter five from verse twenty two twenty three. Um, so this is very important, super, super important. Um, so let's just go to it, right? I'm going to give you those tips that would help you live a sexually pure life. And, and these are things that I hope you take to heart. There's lots of scriptures for us to read, but I'm sure they will help bless you. All right. The first thing I would say is number one is regulate your influences, Regulate your influences. Regulate your influences. This this means controlling your environment. This means because the truth is in this day and age, I'm telling you now that the world is a global village, there's so much access to a lot. And I think we all need to first of all agree, <laughs> if you're very honest, that every one of us at some point in our lives we've We've experienced some sexual temptation or the other. We've had attractions to people. We've had sexual attractions to people. We've had sexual thoughts cross our mind. Sometimes we may have given 
even giving into loss, thinking about some person, some type of way. We've imagined scenarios in our head. We, we can admit, right, that somehow, somewhere, sometime, we have had sexual temptations, right? And so the truth is many times, even if you are not trying to seek out these temptations, they will seek you. That's how the world works. These temptations will find you. And you have a responsibility to control what you're exposed to, to regulate the things that you are influenced by. That's what I'm talking about. And there are some words you see in the scriptures that talk about a very uh, talk about effective ways to do this. I'll start with First Thessalonians chapter five from verse twenty-two. First Thessalonians chapter five from verse twenty-two. It says, "Abstain from all appearance of evil." Abstain from all appearance of evil. Take note of that word, abstain. First Peter five verse eight to nine. First Peter chapter five from verse eight to nine. It says, "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." Verse nine. Resist him. Resist. That's a key word. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So this is a comforting thing to see that you're not alone in this fight. You need to resist the devil because everyone else, the whole family of believers throughout the world, think about that. Even the ministers of God are going through the same kinds of temptations, but you can resist him. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. First Corinthians 6, 18 says... Flee. And this word, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You need to hold on to this word and actually do what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is the only sin you will see in the Bible where you actually commit a sin against not just God or someone else, but against yourself. He says, flee. Flee means run away. If you've read the story of Joseph, you know what I'm talking about. He fled from Potiphar's wife to, to the point that his, his clothes ripped off. He ran as fast as he could. He ran for his dear life. Because when it comes to sexual temptations, ah, you know, the temptations of Jesus were great. I mean, we see how the Lord, our God, you know, our Lord Jesus responded. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He could talk, he could speak. But sexual temptations, hey, you will run, no? Hey, did you hear what I said? You will run. They have had awkward... <laughs> I wish I could share all the stories that, that I have. Um, I can remember... Back in secondary school, my goodness, you know, that was the time when your hormones start to rage And I was just in a very uncomfortable situation with a lady where the only ones in the class Just innocently trying to, you know, play some games it was like around the holidays time close to when clo school will close And we're just the only ones and I think like, you know, she hadn't buttoned up her her button properly So, you know what I'm talking about, right? The top button wasn't buttoned properly and she was bending you know, till today, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the whole place started to get hot for some reason. And the weather was fine. The AC was on, but somehow it was. <laughs> oh, boy. Ah, my brothers and sisters. 
was very it was very awkward but i ran out of that class i literally ran i am not joking and by the time i came back inside she was like Kennedy, is everything okay are you fine like it looked like <laughs> i was like no i'm fine now 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 i am fine <laughs> i said i'm fine but i have to go still um, it was nice playing with you let's because ah oh boy you know those, those that's the temp, the kind of temptation you don't speak in tongues for you run you leave that environment. You leave that sphere of influence. And when you get to a place of safety, you can pray in tongues. But praying in tongues in the ah, by the time you're saying shot ta ta, they should touch you on your hand. You say oh shot ta, they touch you somewhere. Uh, <laughs> your tongues will start to vibrate. <laughs> I beg, please run, people of God. Are you hearing me? Colossians chapter three verse five. It says, "Put to death." Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, is evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Can you see this? It says put to death. That's the key word in this scripture. Put it to death. You see abstain. You see resist. You see flee. You see kill. Put it to death. So this shows you how serious sexual immorality is. First Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which, war, which wage war against your soul. So there's a war that you're fighting and you're encouraged to abstain, to run away, to stay away from sinful desires. Guys, see, I'm telling you the truth. This is how to attack and handle sexual temptations. It's not just speaking in tongues. It's not just, you know, phoning a friend, asking the audience 50-50. <laughs> if that sounds familiar, there's a reason why. It's, it, you need to run. You need to run. You need to run. And you have to be honest with yourself. Many of us, we overestimate our ability. That's the problem. And that's why you've been, you've been failing a lot of times in overcoming temptations. You overestimate yourself. You think, no, don't worry, I can handle it. You have to be honest with yourself. You need to know what your triggers are. You need to know what your weaknesses are. What your gray spots are. Alright? This is very, very important. Know what those things are. Know what triggers you. Know where you are weak. Know those gray spots. Gray spots are the things you don't really have a conviction on. So there are still some people today who are not sure whether masturbation is a sin or not. Or what they think they do. Or what they do is actually considered to be masturbation, right? People have those gray spots. They're unsure. Okay, does looking at this kind of thing, um, is it a sin? Is you know, th- Just identify those things you're not clear on and make sure you get convictions from the Word of God to clear out those gray spots because things are really black and white. So you have to be honest with yourself. What are your triggers? Like, Think about it, and, and this is where you need to sit down and just be honest right now even as i'm speaking like what are you watching like why are you watching those those tv shows are there tv shows that trigger you are are you can you watch a movie knowing fully well knowing knowing full well i beg your pardon that there's nudity there is violence there is there is um strong language are you are you watching those movies are you watching those tv shows why why are you doing that you know we overestimate our ability so you need to be careful. Like I know those TV shows are, in, are interesting. I know those TV shows. They are like they're the bomb. They are trending. They are popular. The storyline is so beautiful. But there are nude scenes there. But there are sex scenes there. You know, one major check that made for many years 
I've lived by is if you cannot watch it in front of your parents and sometimes even kids, you'd rather not watch it altogether. Right? Um, next one is, you know, why are you following those social media pages? Right? It might not just be TV shows that trigger you, but there's some social media pages. By the time you're just scrolling, you know, you're so far as you're scrolling your 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 news feed, you're scrolling your page, it's just so nice, it's holy and, and righteous, and then you see one bikini picture. Ha! You see another picture, and, and you're like, ah, you're following these people. That's why you're seeing their, their, their content. So why are you following? Why are you browsing on that website? Why do you binge those reels where the ladies are twerking and they're doing... What's that? What are those challenges before during the lockdown? Man, that lockdown, oh boy. Oh boy. Well, bossy challenge. It was even earlier this year. Bossy challenge, um, silhouettes challenge, all those challenges, right? Why did you spend hours on end binging those things? And then in private later, you start saying, hmm, all those people that have been watching, they are wasting their time and you are the one watching it. You're part of those people. Uh, <laughs> So you need to be honest with yourself. Why are you reading those books? You know that the book, it triggers you. It's over-sexualized. Why are you reading it? Why are your texts with that person sexualized? There are some of you, you can't show your text to a particular person, to anyone else, because you know what that's going to be like, right? So be honest with yourself. There are times you need to delete those movies, no matter how popular or interesting they are. There's sometimes you need to unsubscribe from that streaming service. There are times you need to take a social media break. There are times you need to have an accountability software that monitors your browsing activity. There are times you need to, in fact, all times, you need to have an accountability partner. There, there's a certain strictness that you need to have with yourself that abhors compromise, like zero tolerance. It needs to be clear. It needs to be clear. And anytime you make these decisions eh, to stand for purity, you are proving that God is priority in your life. Let me tell you that, free of charge. Every time you make a decision to stand for sexual purity, right, you're proving that God is priority in your life, right? So learn to control your influences, regu regulate your influences, control your environment. And when we talk about sexual purity, it's not just about sex itself. It's everything that encompasses sexuality, lust, the things you do with your mind. Jesus himself said, um, a man who lost after a woman without even actually committing, you know, sleeping with her, has committed adultery in his heart. So it's deep. Sexual purity. A lot of people, let me say it this way, a lot of people are virgins, but they're not sexually pure. I'm going to say it again. A lot of people are virgins, but they're not sexually pure. A lot of people think that, ah, because they're virgins, they're fine, but they've done all the other things. They've done the in-betweens. They've, they've watched the things they shouldn't watch. They've done the things they shouldn't do. But somehow, they're still virgins, biologically speaking. And so they should, they should... That's not how it works. Purity encompasses every aspect. Every aspect. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope you're following so far. The next point is that would help you, apart from controlling your environment, is expose yourself to the things that are pure, to pure things. Expose yourself to pure things, man. I know that I'm coming for you guys, and I know that I'm, I am, 
yeah, I know I'm coming into your kitchen, I'm coming into your houses, I'm dragging wings, but it's important. Let's do this together, guys, right? Let's do it together. Expose yourself to pure things. So it's one thing for you to run away from something else, but you need to also present yourself to the right things. Expose yourself to the right things. Look at Philippians chapter 4 from verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. These are guidelines for the things you should ponder on and expose yourself to. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, spend time on these things, expose yourself to these things. That's what Paul is advising here. So think on those things. What are the things that when you, when you expose yourself to them, you are like, man, you are pumped up, you are revived. If it's a teaching if it's a teaching like this that excites you, that pumps you up, that encourages you, then listen to those sermons. If it's a movie that is so Christ-centered and filled with, it might not even be a gospel movie, but it's filled with very beautiful values and virtues, go ahead. If it's that book, read it. If it's that friend that you have a conversation with, that every time you have a conversation with them, you are spurred, you are provoked to do good things. Have those conversations. If it's a person's social media page that encourages you, come on, go for it binge their page it's fine but whatever you do expose yourself to the right things it's your responsibility no one will do that for you whether you're in public or you're behind the scenes expose yourself to the things that are good praise the name of jesus the third thing i'll say the third tip and 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 after this i'll give one last one is establish clear boundaries and stay within them establish clear boundaries and stay within them to be honest with you if it means you have to sit down and write the things that you can and cannot do please go ahead you can have a book a personal diary and say look being pay you talk to yourself being pay see these are the things you can do these are things you cannot do Ayo, these are the things you can do. These are the things you can't do. Mercy, these are the things you can do. These are the things you cannot do. Yes, you've been doing this thing for a while, but not anymore. There's a call to depart from iniquity. There's a call to be set apart, to be pure in every sphere of conduct. And so I will do better. That's how you act on the word of God. So when I talk about establishing clear boundaries, it means no in-betweens. No in-betweens allowed, no gray areas. Be honest with yourself. Know your boundaries. And I'm talking even especially to those of you who are in relationships now, dating relationships, or you're about to enter one, or even your friendships. Know the boundaries. Know the boundaries. If you, you know, they should just touch your hands small and shake. It, it excites you. You know, your hormones start to rage. Then don't have those handshakes. I know some of you say, ah, that's extreme, but you don't know how people, people take differently. Some of you is hugs, but some of you is kisses. You can't, they kiss you, you cannot handle it, you are shaking. Please be honest with yourself and create those boundaries, right? Because one thing you need to realize about sin is that it's progressive. Sin is progressive. It's greedy. It always wants more. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It always wants more. It's insatiable. It wants more. It's an Oliver Twist. 
it, it will always seek out new opportunities to express itself right and, and you know when i talk to people some people who started masturbating and i'm saying this i, I know this is going to be awkward to some people but just bear with me you know i won't hide my mouth some people who who shared stories with me of how they started masturbating it didn't start one day oh today this morning is bright and beautiful what a wonderful day i want to masturbate that's not how it starts it starts with that careless moment you saw that picture that image is stuck in your mind you went further to explore you started to read books you started to watch movies you started to do this do that and all of a sudden some somehow the sin just wanted to express itself a different way and you went ahead to satisfy yourself people who had premarital sex you know may have only been doing the little stuff they might only have been you know just just you know did even you know, hold hands or not, nothing physical. But after a while, they started to talk and their chat started to become sexual. You know, started to sext, as we call it. And then before you know it, it leads to more sensual stuff. And before long, you find yourself in a secluded space in a, in a length, at a lengthy period of time. And God help you, your hormones are raging in that moment. And then you slip. That that's how it happens. It's not just one day. It's progressive. So you need to ex you need to clearly say what those boundaries are. Define them in your life and stay within them. Stay within them. Tell someone your boundaries so that they keep you accountable. See, if you ever see me touching a girl on a bum bum, please call me out on it. I'm saying <laughs> I know this sounds strange, but it's true. I'm saying it now establish those clear boundaries to our international audience and bonbon simply means the buttocks or the botanical name gluteus maxima right all right anyways <laughs> it, you need to establish those clear boundaries because you, you owe it to yourself to be honest you owe it to yourself to be sexually pure we, we are making a statement in this generation to let them know that see sexual purity is still sexy Yes, I said it. Quote me. Sexual purity is still sexy to God. God loves that you honor him. All right. And the last point I'll say is escape compromise, right? Escape compromise. That's the last one. Don't, don't put yourself in compromising situations. Don't try to blur the lines. Escape it as much as you can. And I'll just quickly read 1 Corinthians 6 from verse 19. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 from verse 9. I beg your pardon. Let's just quickly go there. First Corinthians chapter six from verse nine. We read till verse eleven. Very, 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 very important. It says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's you see that phrase here again. Do not be deceived. Why? Because there is a possibility that you're being deceived about this right now with social media, with influencers, with pop culture, with the movies you watch, with the media, everything. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, ad I nor adulterers, nor men who submit or perform homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And I like this tense. Verse 11 is so good. It tells you that's your past life. That was your past. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's your reality. 
don't yield to what they are telling you in this, in, in, you know, in the in, in in pop culture. Don't listen to what is being said. This still stands true. God doesn't doesn't the sexually immoral people, those who are are embedded and dwelling in sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he tells you that's who you were in your past. So he's this is an encouragement to say, don't let your past creep into your present. Don't, don't. You see, God wants you to treat your body like he treats it. And how does God treat your body? Look at it. He, he regarded your body so highly that he chose to dwell in it and call it his temple. Think about that. He saw you as weak and how frail you might have been. He looked at you and said, I want to make you my temple. First Corinthians six nineteen tells us, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. It tells you that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. So why don't you regard it the same way? The truth is, if if you regard, you know, if 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 your regard for for your body is as um, if, if it's how God, if you regard your body the same way God regards your body, there are a lot of things. It will, it will transcend to other facets of your life. You will take care of your body more. You will diet properly. You will exercise. You will dress well. Everything that concerns your body, you will take care of it. And that no one can just toy with you. Your body is not anyone's to toy with. Do you understand what I'm saying? Regard your body. The Bible had clearly said, said that every other sin you commit outside the body, but sexual immorality, it's a sin against your body. It's a sin against God's own temple. And you need to realize the harsh reality is that every sin you commit, even behind the scenes, even behind locked doors, is done in the presence of a holy God. He sees it all. Don't you realize? He sees it. And it seems, it might sound scary, but that's the reality. I'm just trying to help you see what it is. Guys, God wants you to honor your body. God wants you to, to, to let the world know that being sexually pure is sexy. And, and an admonishment to everyone here, right? Maybe you've messed up, right? And, and, and this teaching is not, to, is not just to attack you. We've all made mistakes. Remember, the Bible says that's how you were. You've, you've made mistakes. You've, you've messed up. You were this way. You were that way. This is a call. A call to recalibrate. It's a call to realign to the will of God. The grace of God is so plenteous. It's so gracious. It's so abundant. It covers your sins a thousand times over. Your sins are like a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean of His grace. That's how insignificant your sins are to His grace. And He loves you so much. And this is a call to make a recommitment to be sexually pure. This is a, a call to make a recommitment to be pure in your conduct with others. This is a recommitment to be pure in your doctrine, to stand for the truth. A wholesome purity. That's what this is. A clarion call to wholesome purity. God wants this of you. And the beautiful news is that you have help now. We're not under the Old Testament where there were rules, there were regulations, but people were stranded, people messed up, no one could do anything right. You are under a new covenant, a better covenant. Yes, there are instructions. Yes, there are commandments. But guess what? There is a Holy Spirit. There is a regulator. There is a mechanism in you that helps you, that causes you to do the pleasures of God. You have help now. Say, I have help now. 
I can do the things that God wants me to do now by the Holy Spirit. That's you. You have help now. You can be sexually pure. It might have been impossible, especially if you've been entangled with addictions and habits to fathom the possibility. But let's, guess what? Every new day is a new day to experience the mercy of God. It's a new day, a clean slate to, to live out the rest of your days in, in righteousness, in holiness before the Lord. The Lord said, be you holy as I am holy. And that's exactly what we are going to be. That's exactly what we're going to be. It says, let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And that's what we're going to do. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.